You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. You may be seated this morning. You can turn from your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please stick your hand up. We will, our, one of our ushers would love to get uh, God's Word into your hands. You might follow along and have the living and active Word uh, right with you and, and abiding in you. And so here we are, Genesis chapter 22. The title of today's sermon is this, Reckless Faith. Reckless faith. We've been striving to know and understand how we can love God. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We've seen already this year, this ministry year, how how God has poured out his love so powerfully for us. And and the, the question is then, how do I respond to that? We know that God wants us to love him back. We're supposed to love God with as much fervor as God loves us. How do we do that? That's what I'm kind of wrestling with and trying to understand as a church family, how do we do that? If I were to tell you how to love somebody else, I think you'd be like, I get that because I can see them and I can touch them and I can feel them. But when it comes to God, how do I really love God? You're to tell me, you know, you gotta, you gotta love those around, you gotta love your neighbors. And in my mind, automatically I get, I know how I can do that. I can take them gifts, I can cut their lawn, I can say hello to them and be polite. You tell me to love my friends, and I get an idea of how I can love my friends. You know, you, you send them a text once in a while. You remember their birthdays every year. You buy them gifts. You hang out with them. You invite them out for lunch. You tell me how to love my wife, and right away, I know, I know how to love my wife a little bit, at least. Get her a Diet Coke and a carrot cake with cream cheese icing and a foot massage, and it's all done. Voila. Even tell me how to love my enemies. And a little bit I know where to start, right? Not looking for vengeance and treating them with respect. Then I tell you to love God, and I know many of you say, I, I, I love God, I want to love God, but then the thought is like, how, what, what's next? I can't see God, I can't feel God. Where do I go with this? And so we've been trying to understand that in this series of, of having a heart abandoned for Jesus Christ. How do I love God? We learned already three three, four weeks ago now that it starts with pursuing God in my heart. I want to pursue God above all else. I want God to be my all-consuming passion of my life. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about abiding in Christ and how We love God through abiding in Christ and spending time with him through his word and through prayer and through some of the spiritual disciplines or spiritual avenues he's given us. But is that it? It just is this this me and God and this little moment thing, these little spiritual moments. That's not where it, that's where it starts. That's not where it ends. To to truly love God, it it involves getting out of the, 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 the abiding closet and onto the streets of faith. To truly love God, here's the whole premise of today's sermon. To truly love God means that we have faith in God. To truly love God means that I walk by faith. To love God is to have faith in God. This whole idea of faith is found throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. There's a predominant theme that we see throughout the whole Bible, and it is this. God's people love God through their faith in God. 250 times in the New Testament it says that. Uh, 20 times in the Old Testament it says that, but it says it in different ways. To love God is to live by faith, to trust God. 
Here's what faith is according to the Bible, because I know some of us have an idea of what faith is before we even get further into the text. Here's what faith is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6 really tell us this. Now, faith is this, to love God is to have faith in God. Here's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith, we think faith, well, I love God by having faith. Is it like the blind trust fall we did at camp when we were a kid and jump up on a platform and you look down like, I don't think they can hold me, but here we go, hope for the best. Is that faith? Actually, that's not faith. Faith is more getting up on that stand high above uh, the earth and looking down and seeing God down there and saying, oh, I can fall because I know for sure that he can catch me. I have confidence in him. This is what pleases God, and it says in verse 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't have faith in God, it's impossible to please God, and if you don't please God, how can you be loving God? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Here's what faith is. It is pleasing God and living by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7 tell us this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are away in the body, we are are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. How do I love God? I don't know, where do I start? Here's where it starts, having faith in God and trusting God. Now it's a little part of your life, but with everything that you have. That's what pleases God, that's what shows God you love him. Can't hug God, can't kiss God, can't. Faith is where we show our love for God. There's a man in the Bible that exemplified such great faith that he made the who's who of the Christian faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and his name is Abraham. Hebrews 11 is kind of like the hall of fame of faith. It's those who actually loved God so much, he dedicated a chapter to them and said, here's how you can love me, and Abraham's one of those guys, and he's mentioned three times in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, it says in Hebrews 11, that Abraham was called to a place of inheritance and he went without knowing where he is going. He loved God so much that when God said, hey, Abraham, I want you to go to another land. Abraham's like, I'm going. Where am I going? No idea, but I love you enough. I'm gonna follow you by faith. I'm going. So a little later on that by faith, Abraham had a son even though he was past age. Why? Because he believed God could do it. There's a hundred year old man, you're gonna have a son. Like, I, me, I doubt it. Abraham, if God said it, I believe him and he's gonna make it happen. And then here's the third reason that Abraham is in that passage. By faith, Abraham offered up his only son, this same son, to God when God asked him. He loved God enough to be willing to give him his only son. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 22. What love, what faith. The the one thing that's so, so precious to Abraham, God's like, give him back. Okay, God, I love you more than my son. This is what it means to love God. This is what it means to pursue God. Faith, to fully affirm, I trust him. A little acrostic for you to help you understand. Faith, to fully affirm, I trust him. This is what it means to love God. And so I'm just gonna this morning do a sermon a little different than I normally do. I'm just gonna walk you through the text and explain it to you because there's so much in here. I'm gonna explain it to you the best way I can. I could do four sermons on this text. I explain to you the text and I give the application at the end. 
I try to do sermons generally this way, text, illustration, application to keep you engaged. I'm just going to give you the story, unpack it for you, and then give you the application at the end. You with me? So don't be sitting here going, this isn't going to relate to me. How does this relate to me? It's going to come. It's going to come. Be patient. Here we go. Number one, three principles of what it means to live by faith and love God by my faith. Number one is this. I'm willing to follow wherever he leads. I'm willing to follow wherever he leads. Let's read together just the first three verses of this text. 22 verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham And he said to him, Abraham. Abraham answered, here am I. Verse 2, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I don't know about you, but already I think God has my attention. What? Abraham's a guy that loved God. Remember, he believed him for his promise. He went to a land that he wasn't, didn't know where he was going. He believed him for this promise. He's now got the promise. And look what God says. He says, after these things. So after what things? You have to ask yourself that when you're studying the Bible, right? Always in context. It's never you want to pull and pick and choose. It's always in context. So after these things, after what things? Go back to chapter 21. We realize that some of the things that have happened in the past is that, number one, the promise of a son is brought to fruition in Isaac. And this is such a monumental deal. because Again, 100 years old is old to have a son. Even the people around the Israelites at that point were like, what in the world? Like, who is this old man and old woman giving birth to a son? And, And even the people around... Abraham started to see that there must be something to the favor of God upon this man because this doesn't happen. And so Abimelech, one of the kings around, came and said, I want a treaty with you. God's favor is upon you for sure. And so there's a treaty being signed, a little bit of a kerfuffle with that, and yet it all worked out. And and so Abraham planted a tamarack tree and just a sign of that, that God is faithful. He called on the name of the Lord as the everlasting God, a sign of God's faithfulness to Abraham. And Abraham's love for God, you know, we plant trees in memory of people now, right? Well, Abraham's planting a tree reminding himself that God is faithful to him. So it's, it's, a, it's a good season for Abraham. Things are flying. There's what could go wrong now kind of season for him. And then in verse 1-1, God tested Abraham. In all this season of blessing, God decides that in this moment, he's going to test Abraham to see if his faith is really what faith is supposed to be or if his faith is always only when it smiles and, and sunshine and smiles. Let's see, let's see if Abraham really loves me now and really has faith in me or if he was just holding on to me for this promise that I was going to deliver him. And so God tests Abraham this particular Verb tested really summarizes the whole meaning of the passage in which God is determining to see if Abraham's faith is genuine. Don't confuse these two words. I think we sometimes do. God's not tempting Abraham. God is testing Abraham. God can do that, right? He can test us when he wants to, right? Well, that's not fair. Why is God testing him? God's really, here's what he's doing. He's putting a squeeze on him to see if it's really love and faith that are gonna come out of him. It's like when we grab a tube of toothpaste from the store, we don't know what color it is until you what? You squeeze it. 
And sometimes it's confusing because the box is red, but on the inside of the toothpaste, it's blue or it's white or it's green. You're like, well, I had no idea. That's pretty fa fascinating. And so God sometimes tests us by squeezing us because the outside doesn't always reflect what's on the inside. And so he's squeezing Abraham here. Is his love genuine? Is he the real deal? Here's how he's squeezing him in a way that we wouldn't, again, expect of God, but here it is. Calls out to him, Abraham. I think it's fascinating that Abraham knew the voice of the Lord, don't you? Remember Samuel earlier on? Like, who's that? Who's that? Abraham's so communing with God through, I think, the pursuing and the abiding that when God speaks, Abraham's just like, here I am. No confusion here, no doubting. He's like, yeah, that's God's voice, and here I am. It says a couple times in this text as we're going to read this, here am I, here am I. Remember Isaiah, here am I. Send me. This is, a, this is in the Hebrew language uh, phrase that's understood as a term for unconditional availability. It's kind of like, like Abraham's just, just waiting for the call, like the, the second string quarterback on the sidelines, and the coach is like, hey, hey, where's that, where's that second stringer? Like, right here, coach, put me in. Helmet's on, ready to go. Studied up, put me in, coach. It's faith, isn't it? Being ready to listen and hear the voice of the Lord. I think Abraham's probably thinking that he's going to get like a basket, gift, basket, gift basket from heaven right now. He's like, man, things are so good. God's calling like... What's the next blessing? Like, bring the blessing on. Instead of the blessing, he gets this call. He's, God says to him, take your son. Notice this, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. It's kind of three times saying the same thing, kind of, kind of building on this intensity of the reality of it. Abraham, Abraham, here am I. Got a job for you, buddy. I want to test you right now. Take your son. All the dads in here are squirming right now because you know this is like a, this isn't like a common or an easy call, right? Your son, remember your son? Oh, oh yeah, we prayed for a son. Remember your son? Yeah, your only son. Well, I thought Abraham had two sons. Remember Ishmael? Ishmael's gone now. He's been banished to the wilderness. This is, this is it, his one son, Isaac. Look what he says, the son that you love. It's this like, not just your son, but your only son, whom you love so deeply. It's this, you really, really the, the Hebrew is kind of written poetically, and it's trying to pull out the, the, just the, the closeness and the intensity of the moment here of, of the calling. It's interesting that up until this point in Genesis, the word love is not even used. This is the first reference to love in the Bible, referencing Abraham's love for his son Isaac. His precious son. His irreplaceable son. You know what Isaac means? Isaac means laughter. Kind of joy. Everything that Abraham was revolved around this one little boy, his promised son. It's the joy of a promise fulfilled. Like, I don't think Abraham, I don't, well, Sarah didn't for sure because she laughed when God said she's going to have a son. And Abraham, like all the promises fulfilled of God in this one boy, the promises of the past, but also the promises of the future. 
God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 9 that there's going to be a, he's giving him a covenantal promise that he was going to be the father of nations and his descendants would be as numerous as the seashores. Where was this promise going to be fulfilled from? This one place, his son Isaac. It's not just a promise that's been fulfilled, it's the hope of all that's to come. And now, here's what God's saying, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, I'm telling you, if I heard this in the middle of the night, I'd be squirming, heart-wrenching, like for real? And go to the land of Moriah. Interesting, the land of Moriah is the place around Jerusalem. Uh, that is actually where Solomon's temple would be built later on. It's interesting, all these biblical things, they, they all seem to happen. We think it's like miles apart. They kind of all happen in the same place. And so where Abraham is going to offer up his son Isaac, the same place the temple was built. It's pretty cool, don't you think? I remember standing at Jerusalem at the temple going like, this is the same place? That's astounding to me how God arranges everything. So go to the land of Moriah, three-day journey, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God's calling Abraham to give his son as a burnt offering. He's not saying, hey, just go lay a gift at the altar. A burnt offering. Abraham knew what that meant. Every day they go and they sacrifice lambs. Unblemished lamb. And the fire would consume the lamb. And the, the aroma would be a pleasing, the aroma would be pleasing to the nostrils of God as a, as a substitute for their own sin. The urgency of it all. Take your son, go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Again, it's so faith-filled in this passage, isn't it? And we're going to see the compliance and the confidence that Abraham has in the Lord. Now, this is crazy. And look at Abraham's eagerness to hear and respond. So Abraham hears this, and he's going to respond immediately to the call of God. How? By faith. Why? Because he loves God even more than his own son whom his whole life was attached to. Like a fireman listens for the call and responds immediately, ready, willing, and able to follow dispatch directions. This is what the call of faith is upon our hearts. You want to know how you love God? You respond. When God speaks, you respond in faith like Abraham did. Active listening, ready to follow God. Trusting God completely. That's the second point you can put in your notes here. Trusting God completely. To truly love God means that you're going to trust him completely with everything in your life. Just like to have a close and intimate relationship here on earth, the key ingredient needs to be trust. So does our relationship with the living God. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, love believes all things. NIV translate that, love always trusts. And so love and trust, love and faith are like two synchronized swimmers. They, they walk in unison together. They, 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 they have to be together for, that, for, for it to work out according to plan. So if love and trust are synchronized swimming partners, they, you can't do it without each other. Look at this, so verse 3. So Abraham arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. I don't know. I, I wonder, is there something happening between verses 2 and 3? Like, there's no mention of a restless night here. 
There's no mention of like, I don't know. It's sort of like wake up in the morning. Okay, God spoke. Let's do it. Get a couple servants. Grab a donkey. Get some wood. Let's go. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Remember, it's a three-day journey. Look at the trust of Abraham. It's not in the text, but we can just see the, the bold trust of Abraham for his father. Three-day journey is a long time to be thinking about all that's just been said and all that's going to transpire. Three days is a long time for fear to build in a heart, don't you think? Three days is a long time to come up with a different plan in your brain. It's like, you know what? I know God said this, but I'm turning around this time. Imagine all the villages they pass, all the opportunity to buy a lamb and say, you know what? Put the lamb in my back pocket just in case. Look at the bold trust of Abraham. This is what it means to walk by faith and to love Jesus. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Takes his three-day journey, bold, confident assurance. Verse five, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. Isn't that a statement of faith right there? Hey, you guys hang out here for a while. I'm going to go over, and we're going to get this thing done. We're going to come back to you again, confident that somehow he's going to bring his son back with him. So he laid on, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Isaac, in this moment, is becoming the beast of burden, the sacrificial lamb all at once. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. If this were a movie, they'd be like kind of focusing in on probably the, the boy carrying the wood and the donkey standing there all by himself. Be focusing on the fact that he's got like, like matches in one hand and a big old butcher knife in the next, you know, like the slow music coming, you know, that kind of thing. This is kind of how it's all playing out uh, poetically in this moment. He gets to verse nine and look what happens here. Took the the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. Isaac's cluing in now. He said to his father, Abraham, my father. My father? Haven't we forgotten something? <laughs> Abraham might have been 20 years old at this point, so he's no, he's no slouch, he's no dummy, you know what I mean? He's like, uh, Dad, uh, we're doing a sacrifice, Right? I see all the tools here. I think you got everything planned out pretty well, but didn't you forget something pops in your old age, 120 now, it's bound to happen? My father, and he said, here I am, my son, ready, willing, and available. Behold the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said this to his son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God's going to do it. My, dad, my dad's God. And interesting too, you just notice the trust of Isaac to Abraham here. Just as Abraham's trusting his father, Isaac is trusting his dad. Like Isaac's definitely faster than Abraham at this point. Who couldn't outrun a hundred-year-old? He's definitely stronger. Like, flick, see you, dad, I'm out. All these themes of trust and faith. I wish, wish I had four weeks to preach on this. There's so much in here. 
But look at verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So they both went of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood on it and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Again, I see slow-mo here, like the... And everyone going like... All the moms closing their kids' eyes, right? Like, don't look now, kid. And, oh, oh. All the moms heart-wrenching, all the fathers going, is he going to do it? Is he really going to do it? For a Christian movie, it's pretty gory, don't you think? In this moment, what do you see? What do you see? You see a faith and a love for God that's even willing to give up that which is most precious to Abraham. Get to this point, you're like, is he really going to do it? Is he really going to do it? Is he really going to do it? What, is he crazy? Maybe a little sadistic? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us why he was willing to do this. It wasn't because he was crazy. It wasn't because he was sadistic. It wasn't because he didn't like his son after all. Well, I prayed for a son, but not quite the version that I thought I was going to get. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. This is why it's counted to Abraham as faith before God, a faith that pleases God, a faith that shows that he loves God. By faith, it says in Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, emphasizing that, hey, everything hinged on this kid. It was all or nothing with this thing. But yet this, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now that, my friends, is faith. Amen? Amen. Was he going to do it? absolutely he was going to do it. Why was he going to do it? Because he had a greater faith in the God that called him to do it that even if that knife would have plunged through the heart of his son, can you imagine that knife plunging through the heart of a son? It's going to plunge through the heart of a father at the same time. Can't even imagine that reality. But yet he had faith in a God who was even bigger than that moment. What a lesson on what it means to love God. I can't, I can't even imagine being in that scenario with my two boys. I can't even fathom that reality. And here's a man who's willing to say, God, if you said it, I will do it. I will show you that I love you more than my greatest possession, my son. This is what pleases God so much in our lives. This is what it means to love God in our lives. Where do you start loving God? You start loving God by walking by faith and not by sight in everything. Think of my own kids and how oftentimes I ask them to do something that's out of their comfort zone. Happens a lot because I don't want my kids to be comfortable, so I'm always trying to pull them out of their comfort zone. 
And I'm telling them constantly, if I'm asking you to do this, it's because I love you and I'm not gonna leave you hanging and, and just trust me in this and you show your love for me now by trusting me in this. I'm doing this ultimately for your good. One thing that's always been hard for our kids is swimming for some reason. Just that fear of water. And I, Many a time I've stood on the side of the pool going like, come on, son. Come on, Zach. Come on, Maya. Jump. Jump. I'm not going to do it. I, I love you. I'm not going to bail on you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that's dangerous for you. Do, you. do you trust me? Do you love me? Then jump. My two boys are complete different. Zach is very calculated and he's, he's very thinking things through and, and he calculates the dangers and the trajectory of the fall and how deep the water is and all those things. Nick is one of those like, yay! So when Zach was young, I'd be like, come on, son, it's not that deep. Look, I got I can. Sh- my feet are touching the floor. It's only up to my chest. Like I'm, I have to talk him through it before he jump. Nick? You have to watch him at all times. Even when you're not looking, he'll jump. I'm not saying that one loves me more than the other. At all. But we see here in Abraham, and what God's calling us to is to be, in this case of following God, more like Nick and less like Zach in that, I I know you love me. Whatever you call me to, I am going to trust you, and I'm just going to dive in. Believing that you're big enough and strong enough and able enough to catch me and hold me and you're doing this for my good and your glory. To love God means you trust him, not just with your life, but with your everything. Here's what Martin Luther says about about faith and about love. Faith honors him whom it trusts. Faith honors him whom it trusts with the most reverent and highest regard since it considers him truthful and trustworthy. Almost done, then we'll get to the application. I've heard this story a hundred times. I've heard so many sermons on it, yet I was again captivated by these realities as I'm, as I'm reading that this week. And I'm like, do I love God of that same fervor and that same faith? Is a question that I ask myself, you ask yourself as we read this. Number three is this. As we consider the principles we're learning from this. To love God is to have faith in God, embracing his provisions. To love God is to wait upon God for his provisions. Look what happens here then in verse 10. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said this, Abraham, Abraham. Doubly he's saying Abraham. We, when we want to get our kids' attention, we use their, their second name. Zachary Edward. Maya Camille. Nicholas Thomas, come on. He's using double name here for emphasis. Come on, listen up, listen up. Look what he says, Abraham, Abraham. Look what he says again, Abraham, this unconditional availability. Here am I. You beckon, Lord, here am I. Here's what the angel says. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. 
seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son. He says it again, your only son from me. This term fear God is a Hebrew equivalent to what Christians mean when they refer to faith. Abraham, stop it. Don't harm the boy. It wasn't part of my plan. I now know that you truly have faith in me. It's proved by your actions. Your love for me is proved right now in this moment. Abraham was a man with obedience and trust motivated by love for his God. God's like saying, hey, now, now I get it. Like the rubber's met the road. This test you've passed. I now know you love me more than everything else. Conveys this idea of a deep relationship with God above all else. Almost like God wanted to be sure that, that this man to whom his promise was given could be found faithful before the promise was actually going to be actuated in his life or actualized in his life. Pass the test, Abraham. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so, so here's the, the, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it, don't do it. Was this a coincidence that a, a ram got caught in the thicket at the same time this is all going on? This is a God-ordained moment. This, is God, this was God's plan all along for Abraham and Isaac's life. What are the chances this would all happen at once? These are God chances. God is testing to see what he's really made of. He's putting the squeeze on to see what's really inside. Is it love for God inside? Is it faith? Abraham's faith here is proved by the fact that he believed from the very beginning of this call that God would provide. Abraham, it says here, offered that ram as a burnt offering. Untied his son, put the ram on. He called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. This is what it means to love God, have deep faith, and to believe that he will provide for our every need, our every provision. As it is said, on this, said to this day, on the, mount, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is all introducing for us the idea of substitutionary atonement, which is introduced for us in Genesis, which is ultimately going to be fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ. God will provide all of our physical needs, all of our spiritual needs. God will provide. Then a second call from heaven comes down, verse 15. And the angel Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And notice this, God then reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant in strong, the strongest terms he could ever affirm anything with. He swears by not anybody's name, but his own name. Abraham, you passed the test. You showed, you did it. The ultimate test, you pass. Verse 16, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. God makes a lot of oaths in the Old Testament. Only a few times he says, I make an oath by my own name. Because you have done this, notice it's not just I believe it's actually an action. James tells us, James tells us that, that Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did, not just by saying he had faith, not just by talking about loving God. Actually, what he did actually proved the reality of his faith. 
because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. You see it again. Verse 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. I'm even fascinated how this whole thing ends. All right, thanks, God. Let's go. Doesn't it just seem like they just carried on like normal? Like that was just supposed to happen? Like that's just a normal occurrence in their day? There's, doesn't say they had a party or an extra big bonfire or broke out some extra s'mores. So he was like, hey, guys, you see what I just did there? Teaching moment. Look at me. I'm pretty spiritual. Just like, this is what it is to live by faith. This is what it is to really love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to be willing to follow God wherever he leads, to trust him completely, and to believe that he is gonna provide for your every need. It's one of these little kids' stories that I think we sometimes skip the meaning of. We read it to our kids every night. We, f- we-, we skip right by the depth of the meaning of it. You know why this is ultimately in the Bible? This is ultimately in the Bible to show us a foreshadowing of what God was going to do for us through Jesus Christ. Abraham was going to do it. He would have followed through. This is ultimately the Bible that shows what God did do, how God did follow through, because God did not hold that knife up in the air when it came to his son. He was willing because he knew how desperate sinners we are, how desperate we need to save. He was willing to allow the gavel to fall, the hands to be pierced, the feet to be pierced, his very own son, his precious son, whom he loved deeply to be hammered to the cross for our sins. Who loves like that? God does. God loves you like that. He loves me like that. This is what this is ultimately showing us, that God has already proven his love for us in the most astounding of ways. And now, in turn, we can completely trust him and love him back and walk by faith and not by sight because of who he is and what he's already done for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. To love God is to live by faith. As D.L. Moody says, God will honor our faith. There's nothing on this earth that pleases Christ so much as faith. So ultimately, it's in the Bible to show us a foreshadowing of Jesus, what Jesus has done. But there's other lessons to learn in this as well. And here's where the application of this comes. Here's the faith parallels for our lives that I think we not just can learn, but need to learn. How do we love God in the same way that Abraham did? Here's five faith parallels for my life that we learned from this story that you can start implementing today as you seek to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Number one is this, faith listens for God's voice. Faith listens for God's voice. 
John chapter 10 tells us that the sheep hear my voice and they know my voice and they follow my voice. How often do you in your life go even into your prayer time telling God all of your desires, all of your plans and and having a one-way dialogue with God, forgetting to listen for the voice of God in your life? How many times has God called out to you? Hey, maybe not Abraham, put your own in. Hey, Daryl, hey, Daryl but you weren't even in the mindset where you're listening to the voice of God, so you would have never been able to respond with that. Here am I. Because you're so busy with you, you're so busy with your plans and your agendas and and telling God what you want him to know that you forget to listen to the voice of God through the word of God, through the still, quiet spirit of the Lord that's within you. How often do we do all the talking and never the listening when it comes to God? To love God? means you listen to God. Sometimes my kids even come when I'm in the middle of something, they're trying to tell them something, they come and they, they, they grab my face because that's the only way they can get my attention. They, they grab my face and Maya does it. She's like, Daddy, listen to me. I'm like, why are you talking like I'm the one who doesn't understand? And she holds my face. She, are you Listen to me. What's she really trying to say? If you love me, you won't just talk, you'll Listen. God wants us to hear and to listen to his voice, to to, to carve out time where we can actually have God speak to us because because I believe God wants to call us to some radical things. He's probably not going to call us to to do the same thing that that he called Abraham to. God never condoned child child sacrifice ever, ever, ever. Human life is is, is sanctifying. It's It's a sanctity to the Lord. But the Christian life is also not boring where you just now, you said a prayer and now you just do your own thing and there's no, there's, no more, there's no more hearing God and God calling you to other things anymore. To love God means you listen to his voice and when God speaks, you're ready to do radical things for God, whatever that might be. God has radical things for you to do. Do you realize that? God has radical things for you to do. Even simple things like sharing faith, your faith with your neighbors or your friends. God might be calling you some radical things to add to your family through uh, fostering or adoption. God might be calling you to some radical things with your time instead of, instead of hoarding everything for yourself, but actually, actually giving for the kingdom of God and sponsoring a little child that's out there in the foyer waiting for you. How many times have we missed the voice of God to even, well, I don't know where to serve. I haven't served in years, but we've, God's been prompting us. He's been pushing us. He's been speaking to us, but we're so wrapped up in our thing that we've never listened to the voice of God. The Christian life is not static. It's dynamic. Ongoing. God wants to hear from you, but he wants to put into your life what he wants you to do with your time and your energies. Faith perilous. Faith listens to God's voice. Ask yourself this, you do your quiet time this week, am I doing more talking than listening? Or listening than talking? Here's another one. Faith trusts God with my future. Faith trusts God with my future. Consider Abraham, his whole future is based on his son Isaac and he was willing to put that on the altar. Here's what God's asking us, I think. Do you love me 
more than your future plans? Will you let me care for your future? But God, I got my future all figured out. It's planned, it's prepped, my, my itinerary's planned out, my ticket's been booked in my heart for a long time, and, and I don't need to know where you want me to go, I just want you to bless me. Truly loving God is letting God determine your future, not, letting, not you determining your own future. Faith to be single when God doesn't provide that spouse. Faith to give up that long, lifelong dream or faith to let go of the bitterness when that career didn't happen. Faith to go to another city when the job leads you there. Faith to even stay where you are when the opportunities don't come. Faith to maybe live a life that you're never recognized in the world's eyes and yet God's called you to it. Are you trusting God with your future? Basically, Abraham put his whole future on the altar. This is what it means to love God is to let your whole future be on God's altar. Faith to even love God in this life that you would have never chosen for yourself, but God has obviously ordained because here it is. Didn't expect to be divorced at this place in my life or I always wanted that child like Abraham. Why doesn't God give me that? Didn't expect kids were going to be this difficult or that child. I always had this picture of a perfect family and I have a special needs child in my life. I always thought I was going to be successful, but Yet here I am now, maybe not exactly where I wanted to be. Do you have the faith to still love God and make him the first in your life no matter what the circumstances that God has brought you to? Faith to trust that tomorrow's gonna be a good day because God is on your side? This is what it means to love God. Corey Ten Boom said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. This is actually what it means to love God. Here's my life. Take it, use it. My future is yours, oh God. So it means to love God. How do you love God? Through faith, loving God more than the one I love the most. Faith loves God more than the one I love the most. You see this so clearly in Isaac's life. I can picture Isaac being the pride and joy. They only had one. If they had, like, if they had Instagram and all that stuff, it would have been like plastered Isaac everywhere. Isaac sneezed today. Some of you guys on Facebook, we don't care. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> and yet look what he's doing. He's, I'm even willing to put you, God, above the one I love the most question that's begging us in this passage is this, God asking us this, do you love me more than your most precious person in your life? Do you love me more than that? Parents, kids, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandpas, grandmas, what if God were to ask you to give up one of those? Don't do it, God, don't do it. They're my everything, don't do it. I know I say I love you, but really, this is the one I love the most. Maybe God already has asked you to give one of those people up. The person you love the most has already passed on and you've been sitting for maybe months, maybe years in anger and bitterness going like, God, how could you? It's not fair. But I needed. 
But I want it so much. Grief is so hard to bear. Loving God means that you're willing to even love him more than the one that has meant the most to you that's either living or already gone to be with the Lord. Will you still follow God and trust him? Whether you have that person in your life or not, knowing that he has, he has you completely covered and he will never let you go, that he is faithful, that he'll provide? Do you have faith to believe that God will give you all the love that you'd ever longed for and more than the one who used to provide it? That you'll trust God and that, that he, believe that he knows what he's doing? Faith loves God more than the one I love the most. Faith also cherishes God more than my most prized possession. Precious person, but most prized. It's kind of one and the same for Abraham, I think. I think us, we can have our most cherished person, our most prized possession. They can be like two things, and we hold on to them just as equally tight. In our culture in North America, I think this is one of the biggest things we fight against is, is holding on to our stuff as mine for me. It's all for me. And, and do we love God more than my, not just my most precious person, but my most prized possession? What if God were to ask you to give up your dream house? What if God were to ask you to sell your, your, your beautiful cars and, and, and all your luxuries because, because he wants something greater for your finances and your stewardship of your money than, than, than just to build up a little comfortable kingdom here on earth? Would you do it? Will you do it? He might not ask you to. But I think a lot of times he does. But we're just not willing to Listen. We couldn't, couldn't be saying that. Those little prompts of the heart, man. I have so much. I could, I could give up that, that that person might have something that I might share the love of Jesus. We pass up. That's a crazy idea. I'm not going to do that. But, but what if God's asking you to give up your most prized possession, whatever that might be? The test of whether you really love God or not as much as he wants to be loved. Yeah, God, I'll downsize for you. God, I'll go without some luxuries to invest in kingdom things. I surely can miss my coffee every day to make sure a kid is fed for a lifetime, both physically and spiritually. Is there anything in your life that you need to sacrifice to follow God more closely? Something that's maybe taken the place of God that you never intended it to, but you realize he, that, that is my everything. God's not my everything. This is my everything. Could be anything from football to your iPad. Is there something in my life that I need to sacrifice to follow God more closely and show him that I love him more than everything? Last one is this. Faith believes God for my every provision. This is truly loving God, trusting him for my every provision. You know how you show you love God when those needs come up and you're like, I'm not gonna take it in my own hands this time. I'm not gonna find somebody else to meet that need. I'm gonna trust you, God. This is how we tell God we love him, by, by waiting upon him to meet our every need. Trusting that God will be the same to us as he was to Abraham. When did God provide for Abraham? At just the precise moment he needed it to accomplish God's purposes. Verse 14, you can, you can highlight this, you can underline this, you can put a square around this. This is what it means to love God, to trust that the Lord will provide. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. I think we have a lot of places in our lives we can just label the Lord will provide. 
Even today, God, I'm gonna choose to trust you in blank because I'm gonna believe that you love me and I'm gonna love you by waiting upon you to meet this need. If God's given you Jesus, why will he not also give you all things that you need in this life? This is how we love God. I'm offended when my kids go and ask people for things that they should be asking me for. Our daughter's infamous for this. She probably asked you for things that she shouldn't be asking you for. We always tell her, Maya, you show you love your mom and dad when you come to us for the things that you need. Not some complete stranger, not even good people in our church. You come to us. That's what we want to do for you. That's what we want to provide for you. That's how you show us you love us. You love God enough to walk by faith. We can quote that verse, hey, walk by faith and not by sight. Man, are we good at walking by sight and not by faith. We love God enough today to allow him to be your provider. To come to him first, to come to him foremost, to wait upon him to meet the deepest needs of your soul, but also your body. This is what it means to love God. Just trying to help you understand what it means to love God. I think you know how to love your friends. I think you know how to love your spouses. It doesn't mean we do it, but we know how to do it. I think we know how to love our enemies. That's what it means to love God. This is a life alive in Jesus Christ. This is a life that God has called us to, to walk by faith and not by sight. Brothers and sisters, it's time to stop talking about this, these concepts. It's time to stop talking about these concepts and time to start doing them. James comes to Abraham. His faith was made complete by what he did. Not by his intentions. Not by a good desire in his heart. But by what he followed through with for the glory of God. You want to love God this week? Simply start walking by faith and not by sight, taking Abraham as your example. Uh, Let me pray. God, this passage is so encouraging, and it's so challenging at the same time. Would you apply this text to every heart here as you see fit? God, where people need to be encouraged today, would you encourage them? God, where there's some today that are in this room that need to be challenged because we know that it's so easy to talk about faith and not to live it. It's so easy to talk about loving you and not truly love you. God, I pray that you would take this word and you drive it deep in their hearts that you might grow us in our faith. They might grow us, God, in our love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Mold us, shape us, Use us, grow in us what it means to have a heart truly, fully abandoned to you. In Jesus' name.